Welcome to the Stonelaw Church Podcast. I'm Neil Watson. And whether you are a regular worshipper with us, or whether you just listen to this podcast, I pray that the, the words of the message would be a real blessing to you, and that it would bring you closer to God as you experience more of the love of Jesus in your life. When it comes to sport, football is probably one of the the best or, or worst, depending on how you look at it, in terms of creating division, where we have our particular favourites and everything else means absolutely nothing. Just the team that we support. No matter how poor they are at times, they're the best in the world. Most teams have rivals. I'm not going to go anywhere with that through here. But each team has a rival. But one of the most surprising things that has happened over this last couple of years, certainly this last year, is how unified football fans have become. Not because... Scotland reached a a European championship for the first time in 30-odd years. That's not what unified people. Three letters unified people. V-A-R. Football fans up and down the country and around the world have unified around despising this new thing that has come in with cameras and lines on the screen, goals being chalked off for offside when it's somebody, if they'd just cut their toenails a wee bit, maybe wouldn't have been offside. But VAR has unified football fans up and down the country. The thing is, nobody likes when referees or officials are, are awful. Nobody likes when a judge dispenses something other than justice. It's human nature in us to to get riled up when, when a wrong call has been made. We want things to be fair. How many times have we said that to ourselves? It's unfair. God has put something in us and we're convicted by the Spirit that we want things to be fair. And this morning we come to the start of the second chapter of James's letter. And we're going to see that it riles God up when we jump to judgment, where we create favorites in dispense of others. I've said it before, James's letter is a tough one and it hits us hard. James's main point is that God doesn't want us to treat people with favoritism. Because if we show favoritism, it is a denial of our faith. There are two things that we are taught, two distinct sections to our passage this morning. The first is verses 1 through 7, where we're being taught to be consistent 
with everyone, that we are consistent with everyone. And the second part is verses 8 through 13, that we're called to develop a compassion for all people. James begins with a real, real challenge to the reader. In verse 1, he says, My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? Wow. Brothers and sisters, do you actually believe in Jesus? When you're acting with favoritism and showing people favor and others not? Have you even heard of Jesus? James does this, but he shows his tenderness as he calls them brothers and sisters. He is, he, he's doing this from a place of concern. It's a challenge, but he's doing it from that place of concern. He addresses them this way all the way through the letter. But he also does it to, to show people that we are a family, that we're all on the same team. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should make sure that there is no distinction amongst people. Paul says in Galatians 3 that there is no longer Jew or Greek, no longer slave or free, no longer male or female, that all are one in Christ Jesus. And how does James refer to, to Jesus? Remember a few weeks ago, at the opening of the letter, James, James is the earthly brother of Lord Jesus, but he doesn't make mention of it. He continues to call him our glorious Lord Jesus. Jewish believers would have made the connection with God's glory that was in display as the Israelites were led out of the desert. John in his gospel says that Jesus is God's glory coming down to earth. John chapter 1, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we are brothers and sisters, believers in Jesus. And He is the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. In light of who we are and who He is, we're told how to treat others. And that is don't have favorites. To have favorites is to show favor. It literally means to accept the face of someone. To think of them as okay. To accept the face of someone. It's the idea of to, turning towards someone and turning away from another. Peter says in Acts 10 that God does not show favoritism. It becomes incompatible with our faith to show favoritism. The wonderful Bible teacher and commentator Warren Wearsby offers a real challenge when he says, 
the way that we behave towards people indicates what we really believe about God. He's taken what James is saying in that first verse and saying the way we behave towards people indicates what we really believe about God. As a good preacher, James makes his point that we're not to show partiality, but then he illustrates it and goes a little bit deeper. Look at verse 2, and he says, For if a person with gold rings and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, he's making this contrast. I'm going to pick on someone. Jackie. Who's your favorite actor or actress? Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi. Okay, he's not, he was an actor. He was in a film. I can't remember which one, but I'm sure he was in a film. Bon Jovi. So, if Bon Jovi was, if I'd said that I've arranged for John Bon Jovi to come to Stonelaw Church this morning, and he'll be coming through the doors any minute, I'm wondering if you would find him a seat. <laughs> so you would show him the, the perfect seat in the place. He would have pride of place. Would you be willing to give up your seat for them and then you have to leave? You would do it. That wasn't what I was expecting. but well done. However, if I told you that just a regular Joe was coming through the door right now, and I reckon you're, you're not going to say what I was expecting you to say, but anyway, because you're too nice a person, Jackie. If a regular Joe was to walk through those doors, would you give up your seat for them? Well, you obviously didn't need to hear this sermon, but anyway... That's the right answer. But most of us, with tasked with that kind of issue, we maybe go through that period of thinking, well, I don't want to give up my seat. It's nice and comfy here. Why would I give up my, my seat for just some regular person? But we do have people that we might look upon with favor that we are quite happy to give up our seat. When someone wore a gold ring back in James's time, when he was writing, they did it so that they would let other people know that they were either rich or that they had influence. Not everybody had jewelry like that. Fine clothes were often bright and flashy to, to make a point. Saw a wonderful piece of clothing with silver actually sewn into it looked amazing and it would glisten in the sunlight and the thing is if you actually google the most expensive suit you're unlikely to find a picture like this one although I do quite like it you find a suit that is a blend of cashmere wool and silk it contains over 480 diamonds each gem is a half a carat for a total of 240 carats of sparkle and bling. 
It sells for $940,000. Almost a million dollars for a suit. If someone came in here this morning wearing that, I'm pretty sure that they would stand out. In contrast, how would we feel if a poor person came through our doors wearing only the only set of clothes that they may have? James is challenging us here. Do we treat people differently? Historians estimate that up to 90% of Palestinians back then would have been considered materially poor. They would have worn homemade clothing. And certainly when I was over in the Holy Land, you saw numerous people, modern-day workers, dressed in very raggedy clothes, soiled and, and torn from the daily toil of, of the work that they were doing each and every day. And James says that as human beings, we're prone to show partiality to the person wearing the fine clothes. Verse 3, he uses the phrase, if you take notice of, if you take notice of. He means if you divert your gaze upon them and look on in awe. We turn our gaze away from the glory of our Lord Jesus and onto the material splendor of this clothing or, or cars or gold rings or someone's status. We somehow think of them as higher up than where we are. James says that the finely dressed man, we'd, we'd probably say, have a seat here, please. Well, to the one who is poor, you might say, stand there or sit here at my feet. The flashy person gets the, the best seat in the house, while the, the poor one gets the floor. What a mental illustration that is, if there ever was, was one. How often our world needs to do better in terms of how we treat people. And it starts with us. And we might have that flash where we think we're better than others. We might almost treat them as if they are below us. Jesse Duplantis, whose theology and prosperity gospel isn't one that I prescribe to, but he does come out with nuggets of truth at times. It certainly caused me to stop. Jesse reminds us that we all came from the same place. We're all born the same way. We're all loved by the Father. But unfortunately, we can have a tendency to judge someone's character by their outward appearance. We don't know them fully, but we've judged them on their outward appearance. And in turn, show favoritism to those who we think are okay. Because our world certainly tends to, to give preference to the, to the pretty or to the, 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 the good-looking people the celebrity, 
people that can do something good for us. However, our focus is always to be on the glorious Lord Jesus, the true glory, not the passing glory of outward appearance or material things. The thing is, since everybody matters to Jesus, for God so loved the world, everyone, everyone, everybody must matter to us. Stephen Felker puts it like this, the inclusive gospel cannot be shared by an exclusive people. I'll read that again. The inclusive gospel cannot be shared by an exclusive people. We are not called to pick and choose who we share our Lord Jesus with. Extremely tough words, but an excellent reminder to us not to have favorites when it comes to people. It's important that I briefly unpack what James says in verse 5. He says, Listen, my brothers and sisters, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? It's not that finding yourself rich in, a, in an earthly sense, a material sense, that that somehow excludes you from God's blessing or love. But James reminds us that God has chosen the poor to be heirs in the kingdom. It's a reminder to us that, that those who see earthly riches and, and pursue it will always lose out says here that those who see earthly riches are fleeting. Those that are willing to forgo that pursuit of earthly material gain in favor of a greater spiritual wealth, it is them who will be blessed. But the thing is, it's, it's an unfortunate part of the human condition that when we find ourselves in a, a nice comfortable position, where everything's okay, nothing is really kind of rocking our world or our boats. We start to rely on our own strength, our, our own wealth, rather than looking to God for guidance and for help in all situations, not just in the times that we're struggling with. And clearly that was an issue for the group that James is writing to. And unfortunately, it hasn't changed much. He closes out this first lesson by saying, is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you to court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? He's reminding them that there are those who look to try and pull you away. Yet you're giving your favor to them. The ones who are trying to steal you away from the glory of our Lord Jesus. But again, it's not about whether you have been blessed by God to be materially rich. And most of us are. It's about forgoing that pursuit of earthly riches at the 
the expense of pursuing a greater spiritual wealth that will lead to a greater understanding of God's love for us. James then moves on and urges us, while we've been called to treat people consistently, it doesn't take long for us to realize that there are things that we allow to creep in that cause that to be soured. And in verses 8 to 13, we're given some practical ways that we can go away and reflect on, that we would develop some compassion and move towards mercy. Verse 8, you do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. James is quoting Leviticus 19, which was also referenced by Jesus in Matthew 22. And the reason that it's called the royal law is because it was reinforced by King Jesus, that King Jesus has reinforced it. And this command, along with the one of loving God, rules above all other laws. For brothers and sisters, fellow believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, it is impossible to truly love your neighbor as yourself and show favoritism. The challenge to us as far as James is concerned is, can we actually say that we love other people as much as we love ourselves? Do we put the, the needs of others on the same platform as the things that we need for ourselves? Or do we love ourselves more than we love other people? The second thing is that James says we need to understand and see that favoritism is a severe sin. The thing is, another thing that we tend to do as human beings is we, we tend to trivialize the things that we do or we say. We have a, a good way of, of thinking that, that, that our sins aren't as bad as those other people. Well, at least I didn't do that. It doesn't take away the fact that you've done something. We tend to think that our sins aren't as bad as the ones that other people commit. We might actually excuse our judgmental hearts thinking that it's no big deal because others are worse. But the thing is, it's not a contest. It's certainly not a contest that any of us should be wanting to engage in. It never ever has a winner. Never ever has a winner. James is reminding us that it can be easy to think that because we keep most of God's commands, it's okay to violate one or, or more of the smaller ones. But James reminds us that if we break uh, just one link in a chain, we break the chain. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, but if you show partiality, 
you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. We might begin to think, what's the harm in us ignoring people when we think that they are different to us or maybe a little strange? What's the harm? Well, that can start to creep in and manifest itself in ways that are a lot worse. We might start to separate people according to their gender or their, their generation, their income, where someone lives, their popularity, their, their personality, perhaps what it is what they do for a job, or indeed if they have no job. We start separating people into these groups What's the harm if I ignore that one over there? One is just as bad than all. And it's interesting that we're able to read in the Scriptures of some of the, the most, the, the Bible heavyweights, the Bible heavyweights that struggle with this too. We don't do it alone. The prophet Samuel when God has tasked him with finding a king. He comes along to Jesse. And he sees Jesse's sons and none of them match up to what was supposed to be the king. And once he's looked at these sons, he says, have you got any more? Well, I have David, but he's just a small shepherd boy. And David comes in. He's the one that God has selected. But Samuel would have overlooked him because he wasn't tall and good-looking, strong. We know that David would grow into that because that's how God saw him strong, a man who was after God's own heart. Samuel learned that God doesn't look at people or situations in the way that we do. God looks at the heart, which then moves us on where James reinforces what we looked at last week. And tells us to always remember that judges will also be judged. See in verse 12, in the first part of verse 13, he says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Another reminder to us that we need to watch what we say, watch what we do, because we will be judged accordingly. We'd much rather not have people judge us, I'm going to assume, that we would prefer to be able to go through life and be 
be judged by God on the, 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 the content of our character rather than what we look like, what we do for, for a job or if, even if we don't have one, our gender or the color of our skin, the, we would prefer not to be. So we too are called not to judge others. Jesus says it much better than I can. Here it is in Matthew 7. Right at the beginning of Matthew 7. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged and the measure you give will be the measure you get. How much you have judged is how much you will be judged in the future. And talk of judgment is never, ever easy. Not easy for me to speak about. Not easy to hear. James ends the passage with a message of hope. The passage ends with four amazingly powerful words. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is that aspect of God's character that causes him to help the weak. It's a strong word in Hebrew that means to feel something deeply in the gut. That idea of, of feeling that deep, deep compassion for someone. But mercy is not just an attribute or an attitude because God always moves with action. Jesus says in the, in the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. We are called to be merciful because our Father in heaven is merciful. Our loving Father is merciful. That kind of mercy triumphs which means to go over. And I came across a quote this week. Never look down on anybody unless you are helping them up. Never look down on anybody unless you are helping them up. How amazing that God is moved to be merciful to us. That, that God shows no favoritism. Our Lord Jesus shows no favoritism as he went to the cross. A wonderful scripture from the book of Hebrews 8.12. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. God loved us and saved us in spite of ourselves. That he would show mercy towards our shortcomings. We want mercy. So let's give mercy to others as well. There was a Life magazine photo essay where people from all walks of life, everyone from, from homeless people, to celebrities, to Fortune 500 executives, and they were all photographed. 
And every single one of them was only wearing a towel. The conclusion and the point of that photo essay was that ultimately when we are stripped back of of all the the, the earthly clothes that we might be able to afford, whether it's almost a million dollar suit or something that you've made at home yourself, we are all human beings. We are all the same. You and I are, are no better than anyone else nor is anyone else better than you or I. Ultimately, everyone needs Jesus. Them, me, you. And since we've received God's mercy, it is absolutely the case that we should become messengers of compassion and mercy to all people. For James, and indeed, as he would say it, our glorious Lord Jesus, it's time for us as his followers, disciples of our glorious Lord Jesus, to stop having favorites. Look upon all with compassion and mercy. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you showed no favoritism as you walked to the cross on our behalf. We are truly sorry that for those times where we, where we maybe subconsciously look to judge others, treat others with, with respect and others with disrespect. We thank you for this this challenge by James for us to go and reflect. But we know that that just as God shows mercy, that compassion, that there's also action, that as we too reflect, we must reflect and then go and act. Might by your Spirit, would you Grant us that that strength to go and share Jesus with everyone. That we would stop picking and choosing who we are willing to share Jesus with. We're sorry for those times where we've shown favoritism. And we thank you that that you, you are willing to forgive us when we repent of it. So, Father, we offer ourselves again to you this morning. Might you transform and change us. That we might be more like our glorious Lord Jesus each and every day of our lives. And it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen.